All right. And we are live. Ladies, gentlemen, brethren, all, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our opinions and thoughts are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodges or respective craft or concordant bodies, etc., and inclusive. I am one of your co-hosts, Stephen Chung. I'm a decorated senior DMLA from Vancouver, BC, a past master of Prince Charles Lodge number 153 here in BEA beautiful Kelowna, British Columbia. <laughs> I'm also 32nd degree Scottish Rite and a past twice peace and grand master in the Valley of Vernon. Uh, today with me is uh, very worshipful brother David Colbath. Uh, I'll pass the torch off to him and he can continue. Hey, good afternoon, Stephen. Thanks and uh, welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, I'm David Colbath. I'm from uh, just uh, south of Seattle, Bonnie Lake, Washington. I'm a past master of King Solomon Lodge in Auburn, Washington. Uh, Pastor Sick Deputy for District 13. Hey, District 13. And uh, Scottish Rite Mason and a few other things. Uh, I'm not actually Dean Malay, but I'm a chairman of our chapter and enjoy being part of that. Uh, we just had our installation for the Dean Malay last Saturday. It was a great event, Stephen, so we could talk about that sometime. Uh, with us today, I'm, I'm sorry to say we're not having Connor today. He's not feeling well, I think. And uh, so hopefully our prayers and thoughts go out for him today. Uh, but with us today is uh, my good friend, and uh, compatriot, very worshipful brother, Zane McEwen. He and I were masters together and uh, deputies and whatnot. So give a little introduction here. I just want to say hi a quick bit, Zane, and I'll, uh, I'll uh, read your bio here. Yeah, hi. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on the show today. Awesome. Uh, so very worshipful, Zane. Uh, was born into a musical family in Seattle in 1970 and grew up on Rainsong Ranch in Woodenville, Washington. He attended University of Puget Sound on a music scholarship, but graduated with a finance degree and began a career in banking in 1992. He's married and has three children and spends his time trying to keep up with the social calendar as a youngest daughter who is 12. That, that is an accomplishment. I can, <laughs> Well, I'm not saying I'm doing it successfully. <laughs> uh, Very Phil Zane became Master Mason in 2007 at Verity Lodge number 59 in Kent, Washington and he has served as Worshipful Master twice and since as Secretary of his Lodge. He's served the Grand Lodge of Washington on a number of committees as Trustee of Washington Masonic Charities, Grand Musician, Grand Order, and Grand Lecturer. And from 2016 to 2018, he served as the Deputy of the Grand Master in District 13. He has spoken regionally at several events, including Northwest Esotericism in Freemasonry Conference, and he currently serves as an instructor for the Lodge Leadership Committee where he teaches several classes and ritual work, leading lodges and membership development. Again, welcome to the show, Zane. We're glad to have you. Thank you. Appreciate being uh, being on the show. Absolutely. Well, today we're kind of talking uh, a little bit about uh, the developing lodge culture and lodge experience. I know you have some direct uh, experience in that. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit about what's going on with Barry and. Uh, we can dive into that, and then maybe we can come back, circle around into your how you became Mason and how all that started. It'll be a, a winding road uh, with uh, a rough and rugged road that we'll be that taking today. Familiar, right? All right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm um, a member of Verity Lodge 59, which I'm 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 proud to be a member of. Um, but like many other lodges, uh, there's a there are times when lodges are ebbing and flowing, and uh, feeling like they're doing strong and then all of a sudden people leave or move or something happens and 
you feel like you're during, you kind of go into a rebuilding phase. And so that happened to us uh, uh, six or seven years ago. Uh, and it, it, it actually was probably a blessing in disguise at a, at the, at, at, at a moment then uh, it was like, oh my gosh, is this lodge gonna survive? Um, but once we all kind of hunkered down, we said, gosh, we have this opportunity to kind of build this lodge back up in a way that we would like to, to, to kind of do this lodge, sort of the operation of the lodge. Um, and so that's what we did over the course of five years, uh, challenging like every element within the lodge, like, why do we do this? Why do we do this? I'm not talking code and ritual work. I'm just talking about the culture of the lodge and uh, why do we have this function and why do we do things this way? And so it was that constant feedback loop to ourselves that sort of drove us to examine and, and rebuild and refine. And five years later, I'm, I feel really proud to be a member of that lodge. So I've been there firsthand um, and, and uh, I've had a lot of Grand Lodge experience, but probably one of the favorite thing I like to do is to be on this lodge leadership committee because it gives me a chance to meet with so many of the developing leaders within the lodges of the jurisdiction. Uh, and so I meet lots and lots of guys that are kind of where we were five, six years ago. Like we're excited to be Masons. Uh, we joined this lodge. Uh, we're not quite sure the direction it's going. What advice would you give us? And so it's a great place to start a dialogue, but uh, that's what I like to do. And I know that, uh without going into a lot of details, the, the Verdi Lodge, and like like many lodges, have gone through those ebbs and tides a few times. And so while you were coming through that that valley, so to speak, it had been through a valley not too long before that. And, you know, like, again, like any lodges, probably many of them, many valleys over time. Yeah. Yeah, we had. Uh, when we celebrated our 125th anniversary several years ago, uh, I would describe our lodge as a 125-year-old brand new lodge. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. But it, there is something kind of refreshing about taking something down to the studs, like a house remodel, taking things down to the studs and kind of, well, we're in the middle of that, so everything's about house remodel. Uh, bringing it down to the studs and kind of rebuilding it back up, you know, if you could join the lodge exactly the way you, you, you kind of want it to be, well, great, let's just let's just do that. Uh, so, right. yeah. Need opportunity to be able to have that done too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and you know, some lodges actually could just benefit from from being revitalized in that sense. You know, um, you, you see a lot of it where they're just putzing along, doing their thing, and eventually they're going to run into a real membership issue. Yeah, we um, we we owe our uh, kind of spark to a few people who came in and kind of. Um, uh, you know, just spoke to us in a very frank way and got us all excited about pointing in one direction. Uh, and so we feel it was sort of our obligation to kind of be there for other lodges that are going down a similar path. So kind of like a mystic tie, but at, at a lodge level, not a person to person level. And there's been lots of lodges in the Puget Sound that have uh, connected with our lodge um, uh, asking the similar questions that, that, you know, what we faced uh, several years ago. Are there any particular, uh, uh, I hate to use the word guru, but uh, you know, folks that are in masonry or publications or books, I know uh, Masonic Experience and some other publications have helped to help, you know, develop those foundation. Is there anything you can attribute or any, any couple or two, few they contribute to your? 
Yeah, that's a good question. So several years ago, I read a book called Observing the Craft by uh, Brother Andrew Hammer. And uh, he's currently the president of the Masonic Restoration Foundation. Um, and that book was, it's not a historical book. It's not an esoteric book. Uh, I think of that book as kind of a call to arms. And, and it really kind of asked the question, um, do, you, do you deserve the charter that is in your lodge? And, you know, that's a tough question to ask. You know, and, and a lot of us at the lodge were like, well, maybe, there are, maybe we need to re-examine kind of what we're doing. And uh, so I would really, you know, there were, there were a few along the way as well, but uh, Andrew was probably the, um, um, probably one of the, the, the most important ones. I've had a chance to meet him uh, several times um, and have some really good one-on-one -on -one dialogue with him. And our lodge, um, uh, Verity Lodge, became the 49th lodge, I think, in the country to be acknowledged by the Masonic Restoration Foundation for the for the work that we're doing. So uh, that's kind of we're proud of that too. Awesome. Yeah, I know he came. Was it last year or two years ago to the leadership conference? And yeah, a couple years ago. A couple years ago. Yeah, I, I was not able to be there for that, and uh, I, I understand it was a pretty pretty amazing performance and uh, show that he, he talked about. And, and you're, so you're you what what classes do you teach at the leadership conference? Oh gosh, let's see. Um, it's, a, it's a busy day when I'm there. I teach a, a, a ritual, uh, excellence in ritual, um, and I teach the a um, uh, kind of how to run a meeting. That's kind of a block and tackle class. And probably the one that's most well attended is membership development. Uh, and then for the first time, I think in a very long time, uh, we hosted, we had, we conducted a um, a panel discussion at the lodge leadership retreat. So I hosted three other Masons who were from different lodges around the state, uh, all experiencing some successes and all still tackling some challenges. And uh, really it was just kind of a panel discussion. Uh, at, it was amazing at 8 a.m. about a quarter of the entire uh, conference had descended on this room uh, to hear these three Masons talk about what they're doing in their lodge. And it showed us that uh, not only can Masons learn from Grand Lodge experience, but really peer-to-peer -peer experience is just as important when it comes to uh, working on your lodge. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, so. I, Stephen, do you do you have any kind of a, a leadership program in in BC that you like, like? I guess we should talk about what the leadership retreater is. Uh, it used to be called the Warden's Conference. And uh, that spurred out of one of the districts that had a, a, a leadership training program they in, had in place for their deacons and stewards, and also for their officers, and and uh, that became the wardens conference, and so a statewide statewide event to help the officers of the lodge, stewards, deacons, wardens as they're moving up to the chairs, and then it has morphed into this leadership retreat. They call it leadership conference now. Uh, last five years, six years, I think they've changed the name. And so it's really designed for anyone that wants to be a leader. And I don't know, Stephen, if you have something like that in BC uh, that you guys work on. Uh, they do. Uh, it's above my level. I don't uh, get to play on the, those Grand Lodge committees. I have uh, other ones I play on, the technology committee to deal with the website and how we integrate things uh, technology-wise into our districts. Uh, uh, in specific, I work with the calendar program 
And, uh, but yeah, there are, there are, uh, guys that are on committees like that's one of the, uh, things that is, we're finding it's evolving in our, in our district when they come and we do a, a thing now they're doing a webcast thing, uh, so that we don't all have to travel into Vancouver. You know, that's a four hour drive for us, uh, from Kelowna. And so uh, now they're broadcasting some things, but there's concerns about um, uh, how secure those channels are and so on. Yeah. So there's some hesitation about totally adopting that type of technology to reach the masses all at the same time. In our area, we have a, a district education officer that uh, tries to do those types of, uh, of functions, whether it's a lodge officer's guide workshop or uh, um, just strictly an education type day. He does a few of those types of things throughout the year, um, but Grand Lodge currently is trying to figure a way to hit the masses and keep it secure. So. Yeah, I think yeah, this lodge leadership retreat, uh, it's, uh, like I said, a lot of peer-to-peer -peer discussion and uh, personal interaction. But I know that over the years, they've tried to record some of the uh, the classes and then make those available on the uh, on a secure website. So uh, I don't think they did that this year, but um, that's one of the ways that they incorporated technology into that. Zane, if you had to kind of pick one of the classes, which uh, is there a particular class that you think you really enjoy the most there? Well, definitely the membership development. I mean, to me, that's, uh, I think that's why a lot of lodges uh, send somebody. I mean, there's, you know, block and tackle, learning how to run a meeting. And these are important. This is not just, you know, suggestions like have an agenda and, uh, you know, know your ritual work really well. I mean, if it was just that, we'd finish that in 30 seconds. Um, uh, we talk about communication and, and uh, on all sorts of things. Um, but that being said, membership development, I think, is probably what is on the uh, uh, front of mind for most Masons is, you know, my lodge is not doing well. And what do we do? Like, they struggle with that question. Um, uh, and everybody struggles with that question from time to time. But, it, you, you know, more so in some other lodges that just haven't figured out how to uh, kind of hit their stride on uh, on development. Can you can you expand on what you mean by membership development? Because I'm sure to a lot of people they could assume that means something quite different. Sure, actually, that's, that's a really good point. And um, so I think from a lot of lodges, uh, the number of masons in your lodge is uh, is is held up as being a sign of success. Uh, oh, you initiated five new masons into your lodge this year congratulations great job um your lodge has you know 80 members on the roll you're great good job but if not all of those masons are engaged uh that's you're really kind of missing the point so this it became a numbers game and i think that's the narrative that a lot of grand lodges tell to their blue lodges uh membership development means to me more of a creating a quality Masonic experience that Masons want to come back to time and time again within their lodge. And that's what drives their level of engagement. Um, in fact, we spend a little bit of time talking about, uh, you know, the focus on the numbers is what's keeping you from getting traction. Focusing on 
running a really great lodge with a real great experience, great ritual work, Masonic education, kind of constantly developing each of the members, um, setting goals and, and uh, examining, are you hitting those goals? Um, and bringing in different elements within the lodge so that they're happy and proud to be a member of that lodge. That's what's gonna drive uh, the engaged Mason to, you know, to go to lodge every month. I like this guy. He, he thinks uh, very much along the same lines as our lodge. Uh, we're currently doing a bunch of those different things. Uh, we started, uh, you know, a long time ago with the six step program. And then we expanded the mentorship program over the last few years. And um, it's funny because some of the guys, the original guys that came through that mentorship program are now mentors themselves and getting to give back uh, the things that were done for them. And uh, they're really enjoying that fact. Um, and, you know, of course, we, we've been listening to our membership and identifying that we wanted more education that was along the lines of a type of education that they wanted rather than what was being built and delivered, uh, assuming that's what they were looking for. Um, so we've done things like a more light night where it's a casual conversation. Uh, topics um, are started at, at the beginning and who knows where they go. The, the path wiggles along and, and as the conversation stops and starts, um, they're getting what they're looking for now and they're spreading the word. So that's really cool. And yeah. it's, it's uh, we've been trying really hard to do much along what's the lines of what you were talking about. So unfortunately, a lot of uh, a lot of lodges will will assume that um, education means reading something out of the Washington Masonic Code and and they kind of check that box. And it's an important box to check. Don't get me wrong. Most most jurisdictions have some kind of uh, 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 installation for the worshipful master that charged them with uh, uh, reading the code in their lodge. Um, but I don't really view that as education per se. Um, I think education is much more diving into, you know, the symbolic nature of the craft, uh, elements within the craft, uh, and things of things of this sort. So you can't just check the box and say, well, we read section 12 of the code, and so there's our education for the night. That's not why guys show up to, uh, right. to the, why, the why behind what we do, right? Yeah. One of the things that our lodge started doing uh, several years ago, um, you know, most lodges down here in Washington, they have dinner around the 6.30 hour, and then they start their lodge meeting at 7.30, and then whether or not they have anything after lodge is you know, kind of hit or miss. We switch things around a little bit on our degree nights, and on degree night, we start our degree uh, right out of the gates at 6.30. Um, there is no social hour before that degree starts. As a matter of fact, we're all in the lodge room when the candidate shows up. He shows up to greet the Tyler at the door and is and is conducted into the preparation room where he gets ready. Um, and so we have the we have the degree first. Uh, and it's a real solemn event. And then after the degree, we all adjourn to the dining room in kind of a roundtable format uh, that we call agape. And it's Masonic education about that degree. It's uh, not it's not super structured, but it's on topic of that of that degree. And we hear from a lot of the Masons in the room. Uh, we hear from the candidate at the evening. Um, so uh, uh, again, that's kind of how we incorporate uh, 
Masonic education on a degree night. Nice. I like that. Uh, the other thing we do for, at least in our lodge, uh, education wise is um, on a stated meeting, education at a must uh, is a must at every, at every meeting. Uh, our lodge um, budgets to at least two speakers to come in from out of state. Uh, we're usually picking um, uh, masons that we see on, uh, you know, kind of national level or, or you know, regional. Uh, we just had brothers from the, um, uh, the Philalethe Society down in uh, Oregon uh, come up and uh, present um, recently. So we bring in Masonic speakers that are outside of our jurisdiction. And then at the other stated meetings, uh, each officer will take that, you know, take a meeting and develop and uh, work on some kind of, you know, education program. Later this month, we've got our uh, junior steward is doing a presentation on Freemasonry in the military. Uh, we meet just the Friday before Memorial Day, so it uh, seemed like an appropriate topic. But uh, uh, anyway. Can you talk a little bit about that, how you, while you don't have a stated meeting each month, you're not dark, essentially. You have something going on every month. And so there's some lodges that they struggle it seems like to have two meetings every month and i think man just having one's a lot but you guys have done a really great job of interweaving dedicated education and dedicated programs in with your stated meeting schedule yeah it's just about finding the right balance dave and and it's not one recipe for one lodge might not necessarily work for another so uh, you know i'm very much a hey if you're if it's working in your lodge keep doing it but if your lodge is struggling to have you know a quality event or masons come to your meeting or any of the above you know it doesn't hurt to just rethink what you do you don't have to keep doing the same thing over and over for us uh it was about um oh gosh probably five or six years ago we said you know uh, where we're one of those lodges that met all year long, except for the two summer months where it went dark. And then, you know, September, we kind of tried to gear back up again, but we had been gone for two months. We didn't like that. We wanted a little more consistency. And we also said, um, you know, what does our budget look like? Can we even budget for, you know, 10 really solid, great meetings? And we kind of said, gee, six seems to be the sweet spot for us. And, um, and so we we set out to come up with this rhythm of a stated meeting every other month, and then uh, those are the odd months. And then on the even months is when we did our degree work or Feast of St. John or Table Lodge or some other kind of function. So for us, we are at Lodge on the fourth Friday of every month, but we're only doing formal business every other month. Yeah, I, I, I've talked with some people about the idea of rhythm and all that. And there's this, I think a lot of guys that have come through the heyday, if you will, of the, the late 40s, early 50s, when there was 50,000 Masons in Washington, uh, they still are thinking that, gosh, you need to get these guys in, get them voted on and get them become Masons as fast as they can. Yeah. <laughs> and letting them experience the process. And I remember it's still I still remember 12 years ago when I was coming through, I didn't know what I was going through. And so if it had taken six months or a year for me to go through, that would have been fine. I wouldn't have known any different. And so we think these guys are in a hurry to get in. 
And so, like Steve was talking about with the Six Steps program, helping, allowing them to experience the initiatic process and become ready to be a Mason. Yeah. And important. And you know, some guys, it, I, I say that six steps could be six weeks or six days, six weeks, six months. You know, it depends on the guy, really. And yeah. Then, and then he's ready to take the first degree. You know? Yeah. And, yeah, we definitely set <laughs> We definitely set that expectation up front. Um, uh, and for us, uh, we don't extend a petition. Well, our, our job during the six steps is to make sure that if a man really wants to be a Mason, we find him the right lodge. That lodge may or may not be our lodge. Uh, we know we do things a little bit differently. We took a lot of, uh, there were a lot of Masons that kind of giggled when we said, yeah, we're not going to meet every month as a stated. We're going to switch to this every other month. Um, and a lot of people said, "Oh, you're you're gonna your lodge is gonna die. You're never gonna survive." Uh, and when I heard that, I'm like, um, "We're probably on the right path. It just feels like we're you know like growing pains, you know, culture pains." I kind of talk about it as <clears throat> turning the culture corner uh, of a lodge and doing things differently. In the six steps, we we um, I'd say probably half of the guys that reach our lodge, or maybe thirty percent of the guys that reach our lodge, uh, actually petition. Uh, after, and that's after waiting probably close to six months uh, to, to get in. And then they go through the degrees and it kind of takes about a year to go through that. Uh, and I know that that's not common with, with most lodges, but that's the way we do it. We, we like the idea of handcrafting our masons one you know, master mason at a time, or at least just a handful of master masons at a time. So you, um, you mentioned doing all your business every other month. So do you eliminate then by doing, making that a really a big business focused meeting, do you no longer need board of general purpose meetings or do you still have those types? So that sounds like something you guys probably do in your jurisdiction separately. We can do, is that an officer's meeting or is that a. It, it, it's a, it's an open meeting for all the membership of the lodge where we actually talk about, do all the, you know, discussion around, events and and work that has to be done and so on okay um, and we take care of the actual business the meat of it so i think know. i think so in ohio, I, uh, I was talking to one of the guys in i think it's ohio that they do something similar before their meeting before the state of meeting and dinner time they break out in their committees and they talk about their work what needs to happen and if you if you want to bring something up on the floor and lodge and you got to go and meet with that committee and talk with them and get the committee to decide and then the committee will bring it up on the floor and lodge and then they vote and that's it. So there really isn't any discussion. It's all kind of pre-hammered out beforehand. Yeah, yeah. We, we have an officer's meeting every month still. Uh, and we call that an officer's meeting. It is open to anybody that wants to come, um, but it's not, we don't open lodge uh, and we don't vote on any anything that should come before the lodge. It is it is dialogue, but it is a lot of that prep work behind the scenes. Uh, and so when, we are, when we're at lodge, um, you know, most of the things are all developed well ahead of time or we open them up for discussion, but they don't take quite as long because we've all kind of hashed out a lot of that ahead of time. But what you know what that does uh, really, Stephen, is only meeting every other month frees us up from kind of having to do that business. Because again, guys don't really come down to lodge because they want to sit in another business meeting. They've really been in a business. They've been in plenty of business meetings all day long already. So it really frees us up for not having to do that. Uh, uh, every month, and those months where we're where we where we don't meet on a stated meeting, we still open lodge. We still conduct uh, 
Masonic labor. We still, you know, initiate candidates, but it, the focus is all on that event for that night, not what are we voting on. Right, right. That's pretty cool. I, I, um, I what's the um, impact since you guys made all these types of changes in your lodge? Um, what's been the impact membership? How, how, what's been the growth and retention rate? Yeah, that's a, <clears throat> boy, that's a loaded question. <laughs> uh, you know, if you subscribe to the idea that there's actually different kinds of lodges out there that not, that you can have kind of a, you know, there's lodges that tend to be a little more social. There's lodges that tend to be a little bit more esoteric. Uh, there are a lot, and you could probably come up with at least arguably four to five kind of different uh, lodge types. Uh, those members that were looking for a really kind of that purely social lodge, uh, they actually left our lodge. Um, and they joined lodges within our district, and that's perfectly fine. And we're still brothers with them, and we still see them all the time, and, you know, we still love them. Um, uh, our lodge went in the direction of a little more of a esoteric in nature and, uh, and, and that became the focus of the lodge. So those members that that's what they were looking for are absolutely engaged. Um, and we still love to have fun. We just had a, you know, a, a scotch tasting event, um, uh, earlier this month. Uh, we had, uh, 12 brothers there and, uh, four, uh, men who were interested in Freemasonry and this was not their first function. So this was them just continuing to get to know us as we go through the six steps. But, um, uh, you know, for those, for those brothers who were really kind of looking for while they're at lodge, a more esoteric and initiatic experience, they're fully engaged in our lodge, but there was definitely a, a growing pain, you know, five years ago when we kind of made that shift, it was, it was tough. Yeah, I'll bet it was. I'll, I can imagine the resistance you must have had. Oh, the, yeah. Uh, you know, the one thing about a change, you know, in Lodge, right? But you know what's really, change. yeah, any kind of change in Lodge. Uh, you know what's key, though, is, uh, and I talk about this with brothers at uh, Lodge Leadership Retreat, um, <clears throat> we have this narrative that seems to keep kind of running in the background. Uh, and I'll, I'll say, you know, this, my observation is that we have this narrative running in the background that lodges are losing members because they are going on to that celestial lodge. We're, we're losing them because they're passing away. And, you know, we're, we're, that's why membership is, is really kind of falling at most lodges. And I think that's the narrative that we've been telling ourselves for a long time. Might've been true 15 years ago, but last year, you know, it wasn't, losing members to the celestial lodge that caused most lodges to lose people from coming it was a growth in npd in demits that really is what you see is um, um happening for most lodges and to me what that means is retention it's a retention issue not a you know passing away issue so lodges that aren't able to retain their uh, their members once they're initiating them uh, should be kind of examining, in my opinion, you know, why are they meeting? What are they doing there? What's the, what's sort of, what's the, 
<clears throat> are you not explaining to these men up front what your lodge is about or do they come into Freemasonry thinking it's one thing only to find out that it's actually something else? And it's that gap that causes them, uh, that causes membership retention problems. Well, you know, and if they were, if, if every lodge ran a sort of six step program or uh, anything like it, they would be doing a much better job at identifying what the prospects are looking for um, and whether or not it's a fit for their lodge. Yeah. Uh, you know, I got a lot of grief over, or not, not really a lot of grief, but I had a lot of rolled eyeballs when I, I directed one prospect to the other lodge in our hall. Um, you know, he, he kept in his, in my interviewing with him, I knew him as a young D Malay boy that went through the chapter here in Kelowna when I was chapter dad years ago. And he was finally ready to petition Lodge. And uh, in our meeting, he kept going about how his uh, father and grandfather and, and uncle were part of St. George's Lodge. And um, so that might have some more, you know, emotional ties for him at that lodge right so i pointed him in the direction of their recruiter and and uh, uh gave him the number give him a call sit down with him and sure enough he ended up joining that lodge um, yeah on, on that on that premise that you know there's the family history is in that lodge and that meant something to him um and so but for me it was more important that he find the right lodge to join Absolutely. Yeah, I've met with lots of guys uh, over a cup of coffee and they don't join our lodge, um, but they become Masons. And I'm, I'm happy about that. One of the things that we do probably a little differently with a six step program is they, you know, once they get through steps one through five, while they put when they're petitioning our lodge, we give them a uh, um, we give them um, something called it's, a, it's an opening charge in other jurisdictions uh, called the ways of virtue. And uh, it's it's not uh, esoteric work. Uh, it's all clear text. But um, we have them we have them read this uh, and then write a a, a short response uh, about what that ways of virtue means to them. And that is read in lodge along with their petition. And uh, I think it, it uh, it's just another one of those um, setting the expectation of that brother that, you know, you're going to be thinking about masonry uh, for a long time. If you join our lodge, this is one of these ways that you're going to, you're going to be doing that either writing a paper, writing a presentation, getting up and speaking in lodge. It's not just, uh, you know, show up and, you know, pay the bills and, you know, have some chili for dinner and, and head home. It's uh it's, it's well, more I, than that. I'd love to get a copy of that. Cause I think that's kind of a neat uh, thing. I'd love to examine uh possibility of using something like that in our process. Sure. Um, I think uh, getting a, uh, getting them to write their thoughts uh, and sharing those thoughts, much like, I mean, we do that in Scottish, right? When, um, when uh, they come into the fourth degree in Scottish, right, there's papers written yeah. and thoughts given and so on. So I like that idea. That's pretty yeah. clever. It's I, an opening I, charge. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I'm just noting the time. Uh, and I know you had a place to be, so I didn't want to take you past that. It's 12.37 our time now. Uh, so we should probably start our wrap-up. Um, is there any 
message that you wanted to get out today that uh, you're not sure you got out or you wanted to uh, promote anything in particular yeah. um, on our podcast? Because remember, this podcast will be seen and viewed for over the years and generations. In perpetuity. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think there's, uh, there's, like I said at the beginning, there, there's a, there's, many lodges are experiencing a bit of a renaissance, I think, uh, or there's the, the very um, humble beginnings of one, maybe the few embers that are, that are glowing in their lodge. And uh, if there are Masons out there that have uh, joined a lodge and are excited about being a Mason, but maybe their lodge just needs to um, maybe uh, take a step back and, and, uh, and just examine the elements within the lodge uh, things that drive their lodge. I like to think of it as like an operating system. Uh, and the content is Freemasonry, but the operating system in and of itself can get updated all the time. It's just how do you conduct uh, and how do you operate a lodge? Um, we're not talking about changing code or ritual or, or anything else. Uh, it's just what kind of experience do you want to create for your members to encourage them to come back, you know, week after week or month after month or whatever kind of cycle your lodge is on. Uh, and it's okay to re-examine those things. There's probably lots of, uh, you know, sacred cows in the lodge that, uh, uh, you know, nobody would think of to, to touch. We've always done this function and we've done it every year for the past 20 years. It's absolutely okay to re-examine those. And maybe you find out during that process, you don't change them and everybody embraces them. But if it's one of those things that you think everybody wants to do and only three or four people are even, you know, you know, putting their time and energy into, maybe it's time to, you know, kind of re-examine, you know, what you do down at Lodge. Uh, Cause it may be something that's holding you back. So it's okay to look at those things as long as everything has some intent and purpose and as Dave pointed out earlier, kind of the why are we doing this down at Lodge? It's okay. And so is it your um, mission at the moment that you you will communicate with Lodges that are looking for help in figuring Absolutely. this stuff out? And yeah. Do you want to put your information out there for those that want to uh, get a hold of you to um, see if you can help their Lodge in, in rethinking things? Yeah, as a, as a matter of fact, um, uh, kind of as a response to the year after I was Grand Order, uh, I launched a Facebook page called the Masonic Experience, and it is for Masons only. Uh, I do ask, you know, what lodge you're from, uh, and that the topics stay on on topic of Masonry. But for for brothers that are really interested in in learning from other Masons, kind of that kind of peer to peer, uh, <clears throat> so to speak. They can join the Masonic experience and not just get the benefit of of interacting with, you know, either me or our lodge, but a whole host of other Masons who kind of join that page that all have the same intent, which is to, you know, continually make their lodge better. So they're more than welcome to join that uh, join that page. Excellent. Excellent. David, anything uh, that you wanted to wrap up with? No, I, I do enjoy that Facebook page, by the way, and, and we're well promoted on the Facebook um, the Masonic Experience Facebook page. We appreciate that, and uh, it's it's there's some great discussions out there, and and uh, some some definitely some sacred cows being had for dinner. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. You're gonna get a lot of the old guard that's gonna say, ah, we've always done it that way. You can't change it. Well, 
you can and it's going to be okay. And if I was to say anything to the, the new guys coming in is it's okay to examine the why I'd also challenge the, uh, you know, the past masters, you've got a whole generation of ritualists to groom. You've got a whole new generation of Masons that are going to be taking over the leadership of the lodge. And if you want your lodge to not just survive, but thrive, you need to give them the, uh, you know, the, the okay from you to move into a different direction. Don't hold them back by, you know, just sticking to the way that things have always been done at Lodge. Just let go just a little bit and you might find that these new Masons will surprise you. If you uh, send us uh, an email at the at info at the working tools podcast.com, we will add any of the links to the story, or pardon me, Connor, when he gets back here, uh, we'll add these things into the uh, information on the YouTube video, and it'll stay there attached for those looking later. Yeah. Our notes, right? And uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Uh, now knowing that you are probably well-versed in the esoteric side of masonry, uh, I think maybe we might invite you back for one of these conversations uh, that uh, we're going to try and have soon with uh, on esotericism. Um, one of the early guys on our, on our podcast uh, is looking forward to that. And, and I think that uh, uh, you'd be a great guy to have back. So thank you again. I sure. uh, hope you'll come back with us. Yeah, it'd be my pleasure um, to. And uh, again, send us those notes and um, we will put them in uh, into the notes here. And to all of those in podcast land, please rate these videos if you like them and enjoy them uh, as much as we enjoy doing them. Uh, tell YouTube that, tell uh, Facebook that, uh, because it really helps in our rankings. And uh, that's about it. So I'm going to sign off. And uh, who do we have coming on next week? Oh yeah, right. Next week we have a past grandmaster of British Columbia, uh, the one and only. Doug Collins from Kamloops. Uh, he's going to talk on the future of Freemasonry and the things that he thinks that we can do to help propel ourselves into the modern ages. Yeah, and uh, I think I know Connor. If he was here, he would say if there's any particular topics that you want or people would guess you'd like to see, uh, please let us know in the comments or, as uh, Stephen mentioned, info at theworkingtools.com. Is our working tools podcast? Working tools podcast. Excuse me, working tools podcast. I'm still kind of the new guy here. Uh, <laughs> I think I think that one of the other shows uh, they actually call it. They call him the intern or the new guy. I don't want to remember. Maybe I could have that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the new guy. <laughs> All, right, All right, thanks guys. Appreciate the opportunity to be on the show. All right, Thank enjoy you. yourselves. Enjoy the rest of the day, brethren. And um, we are off air. <laughs>